Friends, would you stand with me as we read for the last time from the end of Colossians. We're reading this morning from Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18, looking only at verse 18 today. Again, this is the Lord's word. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who was called Justice, these are the only fellow uh, workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Amen. Please be seated, friends. Again, our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would... Bless your servant and bless these, your people, who, have, uh, who sit here today and who join from afar. We ask that you will advance your kingdom, your glory. We pray that the kingdom of Satan would suffer injury, that you would strengthen the faith of those who have faith. And to those who do not hear, we pray that you would give them ears to hear. Bless this, we pray. For, Lord, we know that the world looks at these things, preaching in particular, as foolishness. Why would anyone come and sit and listen to a guy talk? And yet, Father, you have ordained your word and your grace to be dispensed in the hearing and preaching of your word. Come, Spirit, we pray that your blessing be upon it now, blessing us in our weaknesses, that Christ, that Christ would be magnified. We ask it in his name. Amen. We have finally come to the end of Colossians, and not just to the end of Colossians, but to the end of the end of Colossians. Recalling, friends, that even, even these final verses, verses 17 or 7 through 18, uh, these are still the very word of God, and they are to be treated with as much authority as any other passages of Scripture. They're given, um, they are to be given weight in our lives. Um, as they are God-breathed, and therefore they are true words. They are words without error. They are words that are infallible. And so we ought to take them to heart. You read these things, and you, you tend to go, let's just kind of blow through these, these things uh, easily. The temptation is real. You know, even preaching, I go, one verse? Seriously? What is there to say in just one verse? Right? And you go, well, it's just a closing statement. Why, why labor over it so hard? And yet I have to preach to myself the same, same things I say to you, that these words are the words of God. They're included in Scripture for a reason, and so therefore they're given to us for our good. I need to take them to heart 
uh, we ought to all take them to heart, to hear them, examine our lives in light of them, and bring our thoughts, our attitudes, and our behaviors into conformity with this word. This is what Christians do. This is what Christians do. We sit under the word, and the word preached, and it's applied, and we go, oh, oh, or I'm encouraged. Oh, <laughs> I'm doing that. That's actually quite encouraging to me. Uh, but we do this. This is how we respond to the grace of the Lord that is given to us as his people, right? If we call him Lord, that means master. We do what our Lord says. As we considered last week in verses 15 through 17, the apostle gave and made closing remarks in order to help the church thrive. They were short and poignant statements. Greet the brethren. Love one another who are in Christ, no matter who they are. We are sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Greet the brethren. Show a love for the brethren. Read the word, verse 16. It is what keeps us, friends, anchored to reality, keeps us from being blown about by every wind of doctrine, helps us to discern between good and evil. It tells us the truth, gives us a grid through which to interpret this world. It is the whole word for the whole church. He is calling us to greater reformation, to greater conformity, to the things of God. And third, in verse 17, he said to take heed to the ministry which you have received, speaking to Archippus. And yet, while exhorting Archippus to this, he's also leaving an example for us that we have the grace of God given to us in the fact that we are given gifts. We are called the ministries, and we ought to use these things for the benefit of the church. We have been saved in order to serve in whatever capacity he has placed them and with the gifts that he has uh, blessed them and us with, uh, we mustn't use them negligently, half-heartedly. I was thinking about that. Um, sometimes we use gifts like I, I, I went out the other day after it snowed and there was snow everywhere. And I'm taking that, that shovel and I'm just kind of pushing it dreading I'm thinking I've got miles to shovel <laughs> and I'm going like this and I thought that's the way we oftentimes use our gifts to the Lord we're just barely pushing that shovel not negligently not standing back but using them to bless the body of Christ and to advance the Lord's kingdom so these things these are the final words that Paul gave to the church in Colossae and it would be the church in Laodicea he would he would challenge them with these very short statements. Now finally, again, coming to the end of the end, where in this final verse, he closes the letter. He does so, writing this to encourage the believers to be confident in what has been written, to remember suffering, and to leave them with a blessing. Again, as, as of last week, that the saints, if they will take to heart what is said, in order that they may thrive. He's writing for their concern. I mean, that's, that's just a, a universal statement. He started, as we heard in Sunday school, these are the, this is the way Paul's letters typically go. He starts by introducing grace, and he wraps up the book by talking about grace. He's concerned for their, their thriving, the goal being perseverance. Going the distance, um, you and others, in order that you may arrive safely at home, living faithfully in, in the Lord, until the day he calls you home. This is what he's, he's going. This is his goal. So verse 18 again. Listen to what he writes. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. 
Grace be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. The letter was written by someone else. It did not originate, however, with someone else. The apostle was the Lord's instrument. The apostle Paul spoke the book of Colossians, and he had a secretary. Scholars believe, and for obvious reasons, that it was Timothy who wrote this down. The apostle was the Lord's instrument, but the mechanics of putting uh, pen to paper or parchment was accomplished by Timothy. Paul regularly dictated his letters to an amanuensis, that is a secretary, who recorded what was spoken. However, the last few sentences are physically written, uh, that were physically written, came from Paul's hands. F.F. Bruce said this, It was not usual in ancient letter writing for the writer to sign his name at the end. It was sufficient that his name would appear in the prescript, that is the introduction, but it was not uncommon if the letter as a whole was dictated to an amanuensis for the sender to write the last few sentences himself for the sake of authentication. This is Paul manner, Paul's manner of doing things. So in 1 Corinthians 16.21, he writes, The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Again, in Galatians 6.11, he says, with what, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is believed that Paul, that one of the, that his thorn in the flesh was actually his eyesight. It's a, it's a decent theory. Um, remember that on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And so he always had, he always had that remembrance of, that he one, at one time had good eyesight. Interesting. Claiming they can see, they remain blind. And now Paul, losing his sight, he actually sees. And so perhaps this is what the apostle is doing. So when he would write the letter, he would use large letters like a, a blind person might do because they can't see to form their letters. And so he says in Galatians 6.11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then again in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, he writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. This was his mark, his autograph, as it were, the way he let his readers know that it was a genuine Pauline epistle. Was it necessary, you may ask? Why? Why would he feel the need to have to do this? Think of it. How would the church know if this letter was from the Apostle Paul? It could have been from anyone claiming to be an apostle. In fact, it was a distinct possibility. Listen to what the Apostle writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. We can't tell even today if what we hear on, on the Internet, read on the Internet, is true or not. We're always wondering, is this really true truth? Is this made-up truth? How would they do this in, in, in Paul's day? There are unprincipled men and women. They exist. How would one guard against this very thing? The apostle himself would pen the final sentence or two 
with his characteristic large letters and final words to the Lord's people. Again, even mentioning people that they had in common, that they would know to verify this is the Apostle Paul. You can easily imagine someone, a false teacher, claiming that the apostle said something that he didn't or wouldn't say. If Paul hadn't put these last, uh, this last verse in here, they might have said, oh, well, this writing clearly contradicts what we're saying, but that's not really from Paul. Paul would really agree with us kind of thing. This signature at the end is an authentication that would keep people from believing lies. It was his imprimatur. His stamp, the, the, the mark of, of genuineness coming from the Apostle Paul. It's important. Why? Because what, what, what matters and what hinges on this is that are we resting in grace, truly resting in grace, or are we going to believe a different message? It does matter. What were the false teachers saying? They would say things that you must do uh, certain things to make yourself deserving of heaven, but Paul would say, I am telling you as the Lord's servant and apostle that when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that is Jesus Christ, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The false teachers were saying one thing, the Apostle Paul wrote something quite the opposite. To keep people from undermining the message of the gospel, he signs this letter with a personal note, his distinguishing marks. Christ has done it, my friends. This is the message of the gospel. The false teachers, they weren't adhering to this message at all. There is life in no other, nor in any other way but through Christ alone. My friends, don't be shaken from a steadfast confidence in Christ. That's, his, that's what the apostle is essentially getting at here by signing this. this is, these are my words. These are the Lord's words. This is the true gospel. Cling to this. Cling to this. I'm the one who's authorized to say these things, not these false teachers. Being that it, it has his mark of authority, the church should take it to heart. And so we mustn't entertain, even for a moment, these worldly philosophies, empty deceptions, traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, as Paul would write in chapter 2. Disciplines or habits, these philosophies in which people trust, Paul would say, don't go there. And we would say today, don't go there. Don't go there. Praying to saints, praying the rosary, thinking I have to go to mass in order to have my sins exposed expulsed, dealt with, um, washed away, sweat lodge, all these sorts of things that people would put their confidence in. Paul would say, uh-uh, Jesus Christ is enough. He is what you need. He is all you need. And no man who ever puts their trust in Jesus Christ will ever be disappointed. So don't let someone waylay you with false doctrines. Don't to disregard the Lord's instructions. Don't disregard his warnings. Don't disregard his commands and don't forsake his promises. My friends, you can be confident in this word. I, Paul, write these things with my own hand. You can be confident in this word. It will not lead you wrong. Hold fast to it. You see why that would be important, can't you? They're not going to make a phone call. There's going to be no text messages. 
It's the final words. Hold fast to this word. The word that I've written is true. And it won't disappoint. Secondly, remember my imprisonment. Or remember my chains. Or remember my bonds. Again, the apostle was writing this final exhortation while under house arrest in Rome in about 60 AD under uh, Emperor Nero. He's in bonds. And think of it, as he's writing these last words, imagine the Apostle Paul wincing as the metal bonds cut into his skin as he tries to, to write his large letters to finish off this letter. He reminds the saints of his current predicament and circumstances and commands them, it's a command, to remember his imprisonment It's not a simple put it in your memory and do nothing about it, but rather to remember means to to think of my imprisonment and feel for me in my circumstances. Feel for me in my circumstances. Don't ignore me. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about why I'm here. He said earlier in chapter 4 that praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. He's imprisoned because he has spoken forth the word of Christ. He was called by others, by the Jews, that he was a troubler. They're upsetting the whole world with their their gospel message. And he's imprisoned for these very things. Friends, the apostle is in genuine need. While he suffers well, and he does, It is yet a hardship, and we find this um, just thinking about Philippians and the lessons that we've been hearing. Paul will mention his imprisonment, but he doesn't say to the readers of uh, Philippi, oh, remember me in my imprisonment. Paul says that here, and it's a reminder to me that in every victory there comes a battle, and every upside has a downside. And the apostle, while he suffers well, he's also hurting well. He's, don't forget about me in my imprisonment. He still needs prayer. He still has needs that need to be met. While he does not elaborate on what he goes through, it does not mean that he should be forgotten. We say, out of sight and out of mind. If we don't see it, have it thrust before us, we are prone to forget those who suffer as we are taken up in our busy lives and the body of Christ worldwide is neglected. The writer of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, said this in Hebrews 13, 3, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. When the body, one part is hurt, the entire body feels it. When you stub your toe at night, or if you've ever had little children, the Legos, (laughs) you seem to manage to find them in the middle of the night. Your body reacts. And so must you, dear saint. Remember my imprisonment. Pray for me. Send provisions. Don't forget about me behind these bars and in these shackles. This is where it's helpful. Uh, organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors and Barnabas's Aid, they, they routinely will send uh, articles and magazines uh, speaking about the persecution that many brothers and sisters are going through, asking, of course, for money as well in order to help. Of course, you've got to always be careful and you need to vet these organizations, but, but we don't want to forget them. 
It is a very lonely uh, existence to be imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And you know what happens when these things happen? The temptation is maybe if I just quit, maybe if I just am silent, maybe I could make the pain go away. Remember me in my imprisonment, says Paul. Here he is, uh, Paul imprisoned for the sake of Christ. He says, remember me. Another reason perhaps he says it is because suffering is the Christian's lot. We've been considering this on Sunday nights as we've been working through Acts. Uh, in the past few weeks, specifically focused on Acts 13 and 14, here the apostle following Christ, preaching Christ, being an upstanding, godly man, and he has been imprisoned because he has preached Christ and him crucified. How is this just? Yet it is what the Lord told us to expect. That's why in our prayer this morning, I am reminded that persecution is coming and it would be awfully gracious of the Lord to awaken us to it gradually um, rather than it coming on us full bore. This is what we sign up for, friends, when we decide to follow Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that through the 80s and 90s, Madison Avenue got a hold of the church and got a hold of the gospel and we decided to share the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Oh, you'll get to go to heaven. Oh, he'll wash away your sins. He'll make your family happy. He'll give you money. You'll have business contacts. The church is great. Your social standing goes up. All, all of these things. Did anyone ever say, oh, uh, by the way, you'll be persecuted. You'll be stuck in a prison. You'll have your name slandered throughout town. And so we're lopsided, I fear, in our understanding of these things. Listen to what Jesus said. We've read this before. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Paul would say in, in Colossians, just a couple of chapters earlier, in, in chapter 1, verse 24, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He's in no way saying that, the, that Christ wasn't sufficient. He is saying that Christ, being risen to the right hand of the Father, the world can't see him and they don't attack him, so they attack us. And we, we continue to take the blows that Christ are delivered at Christ, but they take them out on us. And this is what Jesus says happens to his followers. Friends, this is perhaps another reason why Paul says, um, uh, remember me in my imprisonment. Not only pray for me, and, and if you think of it, send provision, but this is what you can anticipate as well. I'm in prison because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised that when you're in prison for the same reasons, don't be disheartened by it. This is the call of the Christian to follow Christ and to suffer. You are not to be surprised. You are not to be discouraged. And frankly, don't let it make you give up when persecution comes to you. Again, the goal is to persevere until the very end to help one another persevere in holiness until Christ takes us home. That's important. But how are we to do it? 
How is this to be done? Willpower. One major evangelical leader wrote a book, The Power of I Am. I think you know who he is. How is it that I persevere? How is it that I will um, manage to, to make it to the end? Reach down deep and tap into your inner strength. Is that how? No. It's just a discipline you must master. No. My friends, from beginning to end, the Christian life is all of God's grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor bestowed upon us because of what Christ Jesus has done, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is the only way. Stephen Lawson said this. He says, how do you live that perfect Christian life? You don't. It's impossible for you to do this. And amen. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it is impossible for us to do it in our own strength. You can't do it. And he says here in verse 18, it's a blessing. Grace be with you. He started off the letter saying to the Colossians, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He concludes now by pronouncing this blessing upon them. It is how he closes most of the letters that he has written, contrary to what the false teachers would have them believe, for they would have you believe that God's blessing is obtained by doing religious stuff. Paul says, not a chance. There's not enough religious stuff you can do to make God pleased with you. There isn't. You can't do it. The apostle leaves them on this note of grace. My friends, uh, though the word grace is a word that we are greatly familiar with, how easy to forget its significance and its meaning. Stephen Lawson did a, a phenomenal job uh, studying, looking through the New Testament and bringing out the various nuances. I am not quite as nuanced as Stephen Lawson with this, but understand that beginning, middle, and end, it is grace that sustains us. It is grace that saves us. Consider what you were. Um, you were saved by grace. My friends, we were once all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were haters of God, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, children of this world, children of wrath, and our minds were blinded by the God of this world, blinded so that we might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who was the image of God, and were enemies of God, helpless, ungodly, and sinful. That was our condition. That was our spiritual condition. That's what we were. That's what we are. By nature, that's, that's how we come out of the womb. Beautiful and, and innocent looking and diabolical from the start. Having no interest in the things of the Lord. Unable to get free. And again, listen to what he says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We are told, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. My friends, your salvation did not start because you had it in you to start it, but it started because of God's rich mercy toward you. And why you? Just because. Just because it pleased him to do so. 
Your life in Christ began because of God's loving kindness towards you, and it is sustained by the grace of the Lord. Your life now in Christ is lived and ought to be, must be lived by grace. Friends, we don't come to Christ by his grace extended to us and then perfect or sanctify ourselves by the flesh. Listen to Galatians 3, what the Apostle Paul writes. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. He's he's chiding them. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? They started off listening to the gospel. They believed the gospel. They were brought into the body of Christ. And some false teacher came in and said, "Uh Uh-uh, you got to be circumcised as well. And they started to believe this. By the works of my hands, I keep myself in Christ. And Paul says, no, you don't. You started well. Why are you so foolish that you would believe this? You think the law will save you? You think the law is capable of imparting the spirit to you? The law is good. The law is, 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 is the law of freedom. And the law is the law which exposes your sin and shows you your need of Jesus Christ. The law can do nothing except bind you further and demonstrate your sinfulness. Only in Christ will you be saved. And that's how we grow in sanctification. It's how we become more like Christ, by his grace given to us. How else otherwise are you to obey what the apostle has commanded? Putting aside the flesh, putting aside anger, putting aside wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth, putting aside lying. How are we to have a put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, humility and gentleness and patience? How are we supposed to bear with one another and to forgive each other were it not for the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ? We can't muster it. We can't do it. How are wives supposed to submit to their husbands? Wives, by the grace of God. Husbands, how are you supposed to die for your wives and love them like Christ loved the church? By the grace of God. Children, how are you supposed to obey your parents? By the grace of God, employees and employers, how are you supposed to love and respect your employees or your employers? By the grace of God. And this is why the apostle would instruct them uh, that they should pray. It's not by their strength, but by God's grace, by the power of the indwelling spirit of God. That's how we do these things. And how is it then finally that we will persevere to the end? How is it that we will persevere in holiness and reach our heavenly home in Christ? It is by also the grace of God. The unmerited favor of God undeservedly lavished upon us because of Jesus Christ. My friends, it is the grace of God that will see us through this life and safely bring us home. And this is where, now remember, the whole scope of the book of Colossians was false teachers coming in saying, not grace, but works. Different than Galatians. Galatians, they were Judaizers. We think there was some Judaistic 
type of stuff going on here, more of this new age Gnostic kind of stuff, do this, do that, and a smattering of this and that, all comes down to the same thing. Either we trust Jesus Christ to save us, or we're going to say, look, Lord, what I've got to bring to you, and you should bless me because of this. This guy will lose every time, 100% of the time. And the man or the woman who falls on his knees before the Lord and says, I can't do this, Lord, he says, I know. That's why I sent my son. That's where Paul leaves them. Grace be with you. Don't get off this path. Stay put. Don't be shaken from your confidence in this word. This is the gospel. Don't forget those who suffer and don't be surprised when suffering comes. Grace will sustain you there as well. And don't abandon the Lord's grace in lieu of your efforts as he who began this good work will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's, friends, is where we must stay. That's where we, we pitch our tents and that's where we camp out. That's where we live in the grace of the Lord holding fast to his word, helping each other along the way until the day that the Lord Jesus comes and takes us home to be with him. And the man who hears this and believes it will not be disappointed. That is the gospel. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word and for your faithfulness to us and pray, oh Lord, we pray that we would stay put in the Lord Jesus that we would not be sucker-punched into believing things that aren't true, that the influence of false teachers will not influence us away from resting in Christ. We confess, Lord, that we are of dust, we are weak, we are so easily influenced, and so often we do want to lean on our own understanding of how, how to do things and how to accomplish salvation. And yet, Lord, as we read this, we are reminded that we can do nothing to save ourselves but only Christ, only Christ is our hope. Would you please, Lord, protect this congregation? Would you give us ears to hear? And Would you enable us, Lord, to rejoice in you and to be set free? We humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.